you are going to remember where you were right now for the rest of your life. You are listening to On the Mound with Max Stanzer, Matt Sossler, and Tommy Muma on VIC Radio. Welcome to On the Mound here on VIC Radio. We'll be here every Saturday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. to talk some baseball for you guys. Good morning. I'm Max Stanzer, joined by Tommy Muma and Matt Sossler. And we got a lot to cover today, uh, especially all this Astros talk, Mookie bets. The trade was finally finalized. We'll break down every transaction as well from Major League Baseball in the past week as pitchers and catchers reported this week. We also have a very fun interview with Mitch Calandra, a catcher in the Atlanta Braves organization. So make sure to stay tuned for the full hour. It will be fun this morning. Matt, Tommy, how are you guys doing this morning? Good, good, good. How about you? Interesting week in baseball, i got to say. Yeah, I'm doing great. Awesome. So let's get started. We're going to break down some of the smaller transactions before we get to the big ones with bets and talk about the Astros a little bit. First one I wanted to talk about was for my boy Tommy in the corner. Uh, So we always see these New York Yankees, these new New York Yankees come over, and you can't recognize them because the beard's gone. One that really speaks to my heart is Dustin Ackley with the Mariners. had the long beard, looked like a lumberjack, (laughs) and then all of a sudden he looks like a baby again like when he was called up. Well, it was the opposite this time. It was his former backup catcher, Austin Romine, moving to the Detroit Tigers, and you didn't even recognize him. I didn't even recognize him. No, I didn't. I mean, it was very surprising, but... uh... You know, I'll still do good things there in Detroit. Um, I'm glad that he's finally getting the opportunity to, you know, be a starting catcher because he deserves it. He's pretty consistent, one of the better backup catchers in baseball. Correct me if I'm wrong, too, but wasn't there the brawl with him and Miguel Cabrera yes, back in 2017? Was. Yeah. Yeah, so that, there, there's some interesting politics in that one, but I'm, I'm sure they're big leaguers. They'll, they'll, they'll get over it. But, yeah, that was... Where Gary Sanchez got involved, that that was a fun afternoon for sure for those guys. But yeah, Austin Romine, as you said, getting an everyday opportunity, so good for him. And now moving on to your team, what's going on with the Cubs? Well, they signed Jason Kipnis to a minor league deal this week, and this is very exciting. Jason Kipnis went to Glenbrook North High School in the north suburbs of Chicago, and he grew up a big Cubs fan. He was sort of in an odd position in 2016 because... He thought that he would be the Cubs killer that year. He would be the guy who would continue that long drought. And he had a really good series, especially in Game 4. He made a big impact there. And everyone in the city of Chicago thought, this is perfect. A guy who went to Glenbrook North, grew up a diehard Cubs fan, is going to be the one that has to make us wait longer. Well, now, fortunately, he'll be the one helping us out. He will fill the void at second base, something the Cubs are trying to do, possibly with a Horner. And now Kipnis platoon, you also got David Bodie in there. So it adds a little bit more competition and hopefully a little bit more consistency at second base with Kipnis. Yeah, he had a home run in Wrigley in that series, right? Yes, he did. That must have been special for him. But yeah, you bring up a great point. There's plenty of options that he brings to the table, whether it is they want to give Horner more time at AAA, which would make sense. I mean, he was drafted, what, in 2018, if I'm correct? And then you could either platoon him as well, which because he's a lefty bat corner, a right-handed bat. So there's a lot of options you could do there. It gives them a lot of depth. Uh, so I like that move as well. Good veteran leader, too. So that, that'll be fun. Uh, looking at the Mariners now, Domingo Santana, one-year Mariner, moving over to Cleveland, where he will be helping that team go and try and make the playoffs for the first time since 2018. 
And we're going to talk about the AL Central today, so I won't get too deep into it. But this is a good bat in the middle of the order for the Cleveland Indians. DeBigo was very good for the Mariners last year, especially in the first half of the season. Struggled and had an injury and wasn't able to play in September and so forth. But for the Indians, he should be a good bat. In the DH spot, he was he struggled a lot defensively. And I think that was one of the reasons why he did not play with the Brewers back in 2018 when they made it to the championship series as he was in the National League, mainly came off the bench. But a year before that, hit 280, 20 homers, about 80 RBIs. So this is a guy that is, that can put up above average offensive numbers. And for an Indians team, it's a steal for sure. And again, if it doesn't work out, it, it's buy low. He's cheap. And I think him and Framel Reyes will be two of the big bats in the middle of that lineup. So now let's get to the big talk. Mookie Betts, obviously, last week we talked about it a little bit, but the trade hadn't gone through. And then a couple days later, it was announced that the Twins may be backing out, and that's not the case, as Bruce Stark, Bruce Stark Gratterall, excuse me, is instead of going to the Boston Red Sox, will now be going to the Los Angeles Dodgers, and the Dodgers will be sending Jeter Downs to the Boston Red Sox, a top shortstop prospect. So what do you guys think about this deal? Obviously, it took a while to get you know, go through, but in, in at the end of the day, you know, it was finalized. Well, first, talk about a shortstop named Jeter on the Red Sox. <laughs> Who would have thought we would have been hearing that <laughs> this this soon after the number one Jeter from the Yankees just retired? And got uh, inducted. And got inducted, right. yeah. Literally, less than a month after he got inducted. I think, going back to the trade, I think that this is interesting because I'm still questioning whether the Red Sox had enough grounds in order to retract the first trade. Because what I'm looking at right now is you could blame Gratterall's health, even though it really hasn't came, come up in this context, really. So I'm still kind of questioning that, but nevertheless, it happened. And I think that the Dodgers actually benefited more from the Red Sox retracting, given that they got a young reliever in Gratterall, someone who could possibly replace Kenley Jansen in the future. And now the Red Sox, with their struggling bullpen, I think they really struck out here. Oh, for sure. And I mean, to be honest with you, I think Jeter Downs in the long run will end up being more valuable than Gratterall, especially because he's a shortstop position player, so he'll play more games for you, and I think he could have a greater impact. But in terms of immediately, Gratterall will definitely be more valuable for the Dodgers. But what's so interesting about this, I brought this up in the last show about how social media went berserk for the Red Sox. The fans in Boston were very unhappy with the trade. And then all of a sudden, there's these rumors that Heim Bloom and the Red Sox front office pulled back because of that. And if I'm Major League Baseball, I'm very upset with that. Because if this happens 25 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, there's no front office or GM that's going to be pulling back because of social media, obviously, because there is no social media. There should be a, like, I don't know how you would make a rule around it, but I just think that's a little, what's, I, it's a little unprofessional for a lack of a better term, if that makes sense. I feel like it, it's a real tough break for the Angels, who didn't even end up finalizing the trade, for the Twins and the Dodgers, who thought they had a trade finalized and completed. And then all of a sudden, because fans are upset on social media, the Red Sox are able to pull out. That doesn't make sense to me. I agree, and, you know, uh, the president of the Players Association, Tony Clark, he was very outspoken about it. He said we need to get the deal done without further delay, and it'll be interesting if that's brought up uh, for the next collective bargaining agreement. Um, but like you said, I don't know what you can really do. Like, I mean, what, say that GMs, like, can't have their phones? Like, I don't know. It Like, the only thing I could see, which I honestly would not like, yeah. is that reporters can't report anything until it's finalized, and that just would ruin the yeah. winter meetings, the trade deadline, and so forth. But 
Yeah, you mentioned ruining the winter meetings and the trade deadline. Another thing that was pretty much ruined also with this sort of switching gears, you're looking at Jack Peterson and Ross Stripling, their deal completely going down the drain, and they're kind of in a fortunate situation here with this trade because it's L.A. to L.A. or L.A. to Anaheim. No big logistics there with those two guys. But one thing I'm also curious about is, let's say the third team in this deal was the Yankees and Peterson and Stripling were going to the Yankees. How would this retraction... Like, th- they wouldn't be able to retract this deal because it would just blatantly be unfair to Peterson and Stripling. So that's another interesting wrinkle well, in this deal. I'm curious, actually, how much they were preparing to go because, I mean, it seemed like it was set in stone for, for sure. It seemed it was inevitable to happen, and obviously it didn't. You don't see this happen too often. But I, I'd say for them, I guess, just to play it safe, they were probably waiting for the official count. What's what's really tough for Angels fans is this was a trade that really could change them from a team that's borderline wild card, if even, to a team that could compete for that first wild card spot. I don't think the division, but it really set them in stone, stone as someone to really compete for the Athletics and the Rays and so forth and the Indians for that wild card spot this year. And now they're a completely different team. They needed pitching, and Ross Stripling was going to be their guy along with Otani if he could stay healthy. It's a real shame. If I was an Angels fan right now, I'd be very upset. And it seemed, if I'm correct here, the owner of the Angels only backed out because he was upset about how long the trade took to go through. What are we doing? If that's correct, <laughs> what are we doing? Come on. What's more important? You're like justice to the Red Sox for taking too long or making the playoffs like come on now I know I know it's tough but you know with the Dodgers I mean that outfield is very strong right now you got Jock and left right who's in center or you Jock, got Co- MVP Cody Bellinger. Bellinger in center oh my gosh Cody Bellinger and then Mookie Betts I mean it's tough to find a better outfield in baseball than that I think other yeah. than my team but <laughs> It's close. It's close between you and those Yankees. But yeah, for sure. And people are upset. It's not good for Major League Baseball. It's not a good look. The fact that that trade highlighted the week of the NBA trade deadline and then it almost didn't go through, it doesn't look good for the MLB. But I guess the MLB has a lot more to worry about right now, especially with those Houston Astros. They had a press conference this week as they pitchers and catchers reported the spring training. Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman spoke along with new manager Dusty Baker and owner Jim Crane. And A lot of people were upset with how it was handled. Jim Crane, just to summarize for you guys, he basically said that he did not believe that the cheating impacted the game. And then Marley Rivera of ESPN asked him, number one, why are you apologizing then? And two, how is it not impacting the game if you're cheating? Straight up. And then he said, I never said that I didn't impact the game. And it just did not make the Astros look good. Very frustrating for the whole MLB fan base. Yeah, props to Marley Rivera. She really did her job very well here. But also, if I am a member of the PR team for the Houston Astros, as Jim Crane and the rest of the team is talking, I am slowly pulling that hair (laughs) off my head right now because that is the cardinal rule of crisis management and crisis communication. What Jim Crane did took a terrible situation and made it significantly worse. And I don't know how much worse it can get in sort of tying the two topics together. I read something that came from Stripling, and Stripling said that if he was traded, he was thinking about which Astros batter he would hit first. (laughs) Well, what they're doing is they're digging themselves in a deeper hole. I don't understand. It's been proven they cheated. 
there is literal facts out there that they've cheated. The commissioner came out with his report. So why are they trying to make excuses still? Why are they trying to back out of this still? Come on, just accept it and move on. The fact that they're still trying to make excuses for themselves just makes them look worse. It makes them more of an enemy and is putting bigger targets on their back. They're going to have a very difficult time this season, not only because they're going to be getting chastised by the fans, but pitchers have been very vocal about how they're going to be aiming at them, pecking at them. They're putting their own players in danger by just not taking the bullet and accepting the fact that they cheated, which is the truth. It's not even a lie. <laughs> well, now they also don't have their fun little toys in Houston to use anymore, so that makes it even worse. It's a very tough situation. I'm sure as a Yankees fan, you're super upset with this. Very upset, and to say that it didn't impact the game makes no sense whatsoever. Like you said, I mean, suspensions were handed down. They will be handed down for Alex Cora. You know, he had involvement with the Red Sox, but um, it makes no sense at all. But to me, it's very obvious that Jim Crane, you know, he doesn't feel they did anything wrong. He said that the championship wasn't tainted. Which I don't get. How is it not tainted? You want to know what's even worse, too? It's like, this is not the first problem they've had. If you go back to last October, they had issues with Brandon Tobin, who was very disrespectful to women and mocked them, you could say. And then Jim Crane literally said that was not true. And then it was proven a week later that it was true. And then he waited another five days to make a statement about it. I don't understand why they struggle so much with this. If I was the Astros organization, I would just hire you know, an entire new PR firm. Maybe the PR is working hard trying to fix this and the Astros are just refusing, but I don't know. But Trevor Bauer, a very vocal pitcher on many issues in the game of baseball. Uh, you guys probably heard his how upset he was with the new playoff proposal, but he mm-hmm. was asked yesterday by a guy named C. Trent on Twitter. He's verified his name's in Japanese, so I can't read that for you guys. <laughs> I apologize. But he had some very interesting words that I'm going to read to you two. I want to get your reaction to it. So basically, what he said in this tweet is, I asked Trevor Bauer one question about the Astros. Nearly 10 minutes later, I asked my second. I'm not done transcribing, but I quote, They are hypocrites, they are cheaters, they've stolen a lot from other people, and the game itself was completely unfair. You guys think you are, now he's talking to the Astros, you guys think you are better than everyone and you don't have to abide by the rules? Expletive you, you know? That's how I feel about their whole operation. If Mike Fires doesn't come out and say something, nothing gets done. Nothing. Even though all the players know this expletive is going on, it's the worst-kept secret in baseball. We don't think it affected the game. You're either lying or you're an expletive idiot. And don't become a billionaire owner of a team by being an idiot. So you're lying. Oh, we're coming up in four or five days. You're going to see pitchers throwing live PP, and an L screen is in front of them because the hitters know what's coming because it's dangerous. Bauer said he hasn't heard from Manfred or the MLB. He says, no, what are they going to say? It's the truth. You think I have something valuable or you're mad at me or something like that? Then come talk to me. He can find me. What's he going to be mad about? And that's him talking to Rob Mann from the commissioner. We have the best group of players the game has ever had, the most talented, the fastest, the most athletic. Just the packaging is terrible. So very strong words by Trevor Bauer. You don't see too many players step out. We saw Cody Bellinger step out as well yesterday and say some strong opinions as well. But I think he's really preaching what the entire MLB community is thinking right now. What do you guys think about that? Absolutely. I agree. I mean, um, you can't blame Trevor Bauer for being upset because obviously he, in 2017, no, the Yankees knocked out the No, yeah, I I know where you're going because he tweeted out that they were cheating and then all the Astros players mocked him and even called him the wrong name on purpose. I'm sure Alex Bregman said, hey, Tyler, what are you talking about? And they were really, really rude to him, to be honest with you, super condescending. And then he pitched against them in the playoffs and Bregman hit a home run off him. And little did we know two years later, 
he was right the whole time. That's right. And Trevor Bauer, you know, he rubs some people the wrong way because of the way he goes about things. But, you know, he makes some valid points. I mean, it's understandable why he's frustrated. But you mentioned Cody Bellinger. Loved that yesterday. He said that Aaron Judge was robbed of a MVP by Jose Altuve, which he was because it was very close. And, you know, Altuve knew every pitch that was coming for 81 games at home. So, um, and if you look at his numbers compared to Homer away, I don't have them up right now, but they're staggering compared, you know, it. it's hard to believe that people didn't pick on it or pick up on it earlier. But Well, the, the rumor is that teams knew about it and complained about it, and the MLB didn't do anything until pitcher for the A's Mike Fires went out and actually said stuff to the public, which forced the MLB to take action, yet... The punishments, as a lot of people agree, they haven't been enough yet, at least, because the Astros players still haven't taken the bullet and apologized for it. Or they, they have, but they're not true apologies. They haven't. The punishment hasn't been enough, and it will never be enough, and it will never be enough in, for anyone. Because you look at situations like Pete Rose, and even though the Black Sox set a precedent for his actions, we could argue the same logic. You know, the topic of sign stealing has been going around baseball forever. And, you know, some of it is authentic. Like, if you have a man on second, then you got to change the signs up. And that's okay. I'm 100% okay with stealing signs oh, with a man was, on yeah. base, mm-hmm. doing it authentically, no technology. That's just and smart you know why managing okay? a strategy. Because everyone knows it's happening. When you're sneaking around with a video camera, number one, no one else has that advantage. Number two, no one else is doing it. And number three, no one knows that you're doing it. It's the most deceptive thing in the world. And it's a completely unfair advantage, especially when you're at home. It, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah, and going off of that as well, with the way these Astros players are reacting to it, again, you mentioned it's a PR dumpster fire, but if I'm Bregman, if I'm Altuve, all I'm doing by apologizing this way is I'm putting a bigger target on my back, literally. Literally. Because it's... I don't know how you can just do this. You clearly cheated. You clearly made a mistake. You have a chance to make it somewhat right, make the le- the rest of the league respect you, and you're just taking that chance, and you're throwing it down the drain, which really, I think it shows the true colors of the Astros organization. And in their, in their defense, when they went into the locker room and people interviewed them more, they were a bit more understanding, and they, they took more credit. The one thing that did frustrate me was that Altuve still denied the fact of the buzzers, but never actually denied it. He just said the commissioner's report is what it said. Mm-hmm. Report, excuse me, is what it said, which is a little little shaky to me, but we'll see. Either way, on a more positive note, we sat down with Mitch Calandra earlier this week, a catcher in the Atlanta Braves organization, talking about his first pro ball season, his first spring training, which he's in the middle of right now. Let's take a listen to what Mitch had to say earlier this week. First of all, Mitch, thank you so much for joining us today. No, no problem. Happy to be here. So the first thing I wanted to start off with is you being a catcher now in pro ball, and now there's all these rumors about the electronic strike zone. I was curious if that is implemented at all any time in the future. How does that change your approach defensively in terms of framing and so forth? Is that even important at that point if there is an electronic strike zone? Yeah, I think uh, I think it definitely affects you know the catching position a lot because you know the kind of craft of getting the umpire to call a strike maybe when it's not is uh, kind of part of our job. So if you take that part of the game out, it's like there's a whole different, you know, way of looking at the catching position. Um, but as a hitter, though, 
Um, it honestly probably helped a lot of guys. But just from, you know, catching being a defensive-minded position, you know, it kind of takes away from our craft a little bit. And another thing, too, I was curious, what was the jump like from college ball to pro ball, jumping from D2 to pro ball? It was I looked, and it was about a month between your two seasons. Did you have any time to get to know your pitchers at all? Yeah, no, it was definitely a big jump, just uh, just from the terms of just, like, you know, catching 95-plus for nine innings straight. Um, you know, curveballs are better, sliders are better. Everything's just, you know, taken to the next level. So that I had, like, two weeks or so before – uh, we started playing games in pro ball, and uh, it was good to, like, catch those guys a couple times, and there maybe, like, one or two bullpens each. But it was definitely still an adjustment period, uh, you know, getting to know guys, you know, what pitches they want to throw on, what counts, just how we want to attack hitters. So it definitely was a, a big adjustment. So, Mitch, talking about that adjustment, um, is are you able to tell, um, like, the level and talent, because obviously you have, you know, you're facing good guys down in college, but it's got to be a big jump uh, in the professional level, right? Yeah, I think I think it's just like in terms of consistency, because you know we'd we'd run at those guys that you know had the stuff, like the same you know level of stuff that uh, the guys have at pro ball, but it was just not on a consistent basis. So like seeing that stuff every day. You know, you just got to make adjustments as a hitter. You got to be more locked in. Make sure you're making adjustments, um, you know, even, you know, pitch by pitch. Because, uh, I mean, the guys' stuff are just way better in college. And, you know, sometimes you are overmatched in pro ball. In college, you know, sometimes you are. Sometimes it's just way less consistent with, uh, you know, the city and just overall stuff. Yeah, so you mentioned college a little bit there, and you had quite a game last year in college against Embry-Riddle where you picked up five hits, three of which left the yard, and you drove in eight. What was different about that day, and was it the best that you've ever played? Um, I would say it was, like, the best individual hitting game that I've ever had in my career so far, uh, especially to do it, like, at the college level. Because, I mean, in high school, I had a couple big games, never three home runs, but... Um, it was cool, too, because, I mean, I'm more of an average hitter. Uh, and then, you know, to hit almost double my home run to- total in one game for my career, uh, it was a pretty cool experience, my teammates being pumped. And, uh, yeah, no, that was a pretty uh, unreal day for me. Yeah, in college you drove in 67 runs last season and hit 429 and OPS to 1,000 in your first stint at the pro level with runners in scoring position. Can you walk us through what your approach is, if it changes at all, when there's a man on second, man on third, and you're, you know, you have to drive in some runs? Yeah, I just, I just think being, you know, I, I try to strike out as little as possible. And, like, in a, in a day and age, like right now, we strike out. doesn't really matter. Nobody's really caring if you strike out, you know, a lot. So, me being the hitter I am, I know who I am, and I kind of try to stay true to that. And I think that really helps me with runners in scoring position because I know for me to be able to drive in runs, I'm not going to, you know, be able to, you know, with a man out first, there's not going to be very many times where I'm driving in two runs with a man out first with the big fly. So I know I need to get my RBIs and, you know, be productive when there's runners in scoring position. And that's when I just, I think mentally just lock in and just, think barrel and just try to do as best as I can with like the job that I have so instead of relying on the big fly I kind of just stick to my approach no matter what the situation is and I think that 
you know, plays in favor when it comes to driving and runs. Yeah, we're in like a new era, it seems like, with launch angle and all these new analytics. Did any of that, in terms of what you were provided and what coaches were telling you with analytics and how to maybe, you know, with the tinkering, your swing, change from college to pro ball? Yeah, so 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 far uh, the Braves have a policy where they, you know, they kind of like are hands off um, that first season of pro ball. So I'm sure I'll be uh, making some adjustments this spring training and uh, maybe like, you know, starting to go towards some of their philosophies off like just trying to like maybe uh you know get stronger and everything maybe uh my swing will you know develop a little bit more power and uh with the stuff they tell me maybe I can change my approach um but so far they they do have like a hands off uh, type mentality so we uh I've really gotten into too much of uh making the adjustment to you know that newer style of hitting yeah and you mentioned all that newer styles of hitting and your how they make the jump from the first year of pro ball to the second. Your former teammate Nick Hill spent a few years with the Giants organization. Have you gotten any advice from him between the first and second year of pro ball? Yeah, I haven't been able to talk to him, you know, recently. But uh, during my senior year of college, you know, he came in uh, for our alumni day and he was talking to, you know, all the hitters and he was just saying how it's a big adjustment. And, uh, you know, you can't miss pitches. You can't fall behind in counts. Because, you know, in college sometimes if the guys didn't have the best stuff, even if you fall down 0-2, 1-2, you know, you still had a chance. But, I mean, the prof- at the professional level, guys just know how to put you away once they get ahead. So I think that's the biggest thing I took away from him, that I was just going to have to go into pro ball thinking, you know, if I get a pitch early in the count that I know I can handle, I'm going to have to hit it and hit it well, or else if I fall behind, you know, it makes life a lot harder. So you were talking about being in the Braves organization. Obviously, um, it's a very historic organization, and they've always had a good reputation of having a great farm system. Um, I was wondering what it felt like to be drafted by them, um, knowing that you're entering an organization that is contenders right now and looking to do big things in the future, and you're a part of it. Yeah, I was, I was just, I was overwhelmed when I got drafted by the Braves. Um, you know, like you said, they are a historic organization. I was super pumped. Uh, I couldn't have, honestly, I couldn't have picked a better place to go. You know, with their reputation and everything. Um, the biggest thing for me is I just love winning. So being in a winning organization a winning culture just a, a place that knows how to win um had so many great players come through their organization uh especially drafted by too so it's it's not like they're you know going out and signing all these big free agents you know they kind of have a lot of homegrown guys which is awesome because you know i know then where i'm at in the minor leagues will help me grow as a player so it's like a confidence level in the organization that's uh like that's not i wouldn't say rare but just it's. I mean, I'm just in a good place, for sure. Yeah, in your organization, you got, you got guys like Kyle Wright coming up. You got Soroka and Fultinevich at the big league level. If you could pick one guy in the organization that you have not caught yet, who would you want to catch? And then another add-on to that, who is the best pitcher you've caught so far in pro ball? Pro ball. Okay, so I. This is going to be funny, just because they just signed him. But I honestly, I gotta say, if there's one guy I want to catch when I get to spring training, it's gotta be King Felix. Oh no, I'm from <laughs> Seattle, so I love Felix. That 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 makes me when happy. I saw they signed him to uh, to the minor league deal too. I was like, I was like, I hope I get to catch you know numbers wise a future Hall of Famer. So 
I was like, that'd be pretty cool to catch his bullpen. So I got to go with Felix Hernandez, even though he hasn't been a Brave very long. And then, uh, I'm sorry, what was it? Oh, the best pitcher I've caught so far? Um, you know, I got to I gotta say Mitch, Mitch Stallings was uh, pretty good in Danville. He won the uh, Happy League Pitcher of the Year before he got moved up to Rome. Um, he was pretty he was pretty impressive. He could command, you know, all four of his pitches. Uh, he just really stuck out to me just from a, a command. Like, he was the first guy because there's a lot of guys with good stuff, but uh, he stuck out just because of his command of all of his pitches along with the good stuff. So he uh, he was definitely pretty impressive to me. You mentioned spring training as well, this being your first one. What are you expecting from it? Have you talked to anyone else about it? Uh, yeah, I've talked to, like, uh, the scout that drafted me. I was just picking his brain the other day because he showed up to a game at Eckerd that I was at. So I was picking his brain, and I was just like, you know, what what can I expect from spring training? He was basically just like, uh, you can expect just a lot of knowledge floating around, which I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to. So I'm going to just, you know, do my best to pick as many people's brains. I've already had a chance to work with some cool catching guys like Eddie Perez, who was the backup to Javi Lopez on the Braves. So I got to work with him for a week. Uh, so I'm just looking like uh, forward to you know gaining some knowledge and really getting that next level coaching. Pitchers and catchers report next week. Are you heading over to Florida the next week? Uh, no, but I'm. So my report date is March 4th. The minor league report date is March 4th. Uh, I'm probably going to head over, uh, you know, like a week and a half, two weeks early because uh, I would like to jump in there early for sure. So talking about you breaking the Eckerd College hits record. Tell me about that. How special that is for you? Uh, it was. It was uh, pretty special to me. My parents were there, so that was pretty awesome. Um, the thing that made it special, though, was, you know, because we were winning at the time. Because, uh, you know, my first three years, we had a losing record. We were, you know, we knew we had some talented players, but this wasn't coming together. The fact that, like, during the senior year, uh, we were winning, we were competing, and I got to do it while we were competing and winning, that's that's what made it uh you know, more special than if we were playing, you know, somewhat meaningless games and it happened, it would uh, it would have been way less special. But it was pretty awesome. Yeah, so you mentioned the tail end of your senior year and you were one of four selected in last year's draft from Eckerd. How did you celebrate with your teammates? Uh, it was funny because, uh, you know, we kind of all went around the same time. I w- uh, Garrett went a couple rounds before me, Pickles went a couple rounds before me, then I went. So we have a group chat, the four guys that went on the day, and we were all talking the group chat, you know, if anybody's hearing anything. And uh, after I got drafted, uh, we were all pumped, obviously, because it kind of went back-to-back-to-back rounds uh, where we had some action. So we were all calling each other, you know, congratulating. And then our second baseman, Nick Conti, we were waiting for him. We were like, he's got to go. We got This day's got to be perfect. This will be the perfect ending. You know, and uh, in the 39th round when he got the call, we were, oh, man, we uh, had a four-way FaceTime call. Uh, we were, you know, just thanking each other because we wouldn't have gotten the same exposure if it wasn't for each other. So it was just a, it was a cool experience to share because they're also, you know, some of my best buddies that I've known for four years now. So it was a, a cool and surreal experience. Now you talk about being drafted with your buddies. I got to ask, as an intern with the Blue Sox, what was it like your former teammate, Louis Varlin, also being drafted last year? Yeah, I hit. Uh, I, I swung him a message on Instagram right away, uh, and I was just letting him know that I saw it. I was proud of him because, I mean, he was killing it. Uh, I would look at uh, his numbers every once in a while because it's fun to you know see how your old buddies 
are doing. So it was cool when I saw him. Uh, he hit me up on the day I got drafted as well. Uh, so it's, it's cool, you know, the fact that we only you only know some of these guys for two months, and yet you become like such good friends, and uh, you know you constantly keep in touch. So it, it's cool. I hope to run into some of those guys like on the field. That would be even better. Awesome. Thank you so much. Once again, Mitch Calandra, catcher in the Atlanta Braves organization. Mitch, we wish you the best of luck during your first spring training and your first full pro season. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you guys, and uh, just have a good one. And anytime you guys uh, want me on, you just let me know. Once again, Mitch Calandra, catcher in the Atlanta Braves organization. Guys, before we go to break, when he said Felix Hernandez was the catcher he'd catch, that just made my life. As you know, Felix is close to my heart. But yeah, with that, we're going to take a break here on VIC Radio. Once again, you're listening to On the Mound along with Max Hanser, Tommy Muma, and Matt Sossler. we got a lot more coming up, especially our predictions for the American League Central and much more. So make sure to stay tuned here on VIC Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back and good morning. Here we're on On the Mound on VIC Radio here from 8 to 9 a.m. as usual every Saturday morning for you guys through the baseball season. Max Tanzer joined by Matt Sossler and Tommy Muma. And as usual, for the remaining five weeks, we're going to be breaking down the divisions for the upcoming Major League Baseball season 2020. Last week, it was the National League East, and we had some disagreements between the New York Mets majority-wise. Matt and I were on the same page, my buddy Tommy in the corner. Is it going to be the same story this week, Tommy, where, where you're just going to be on a completely different planet as us? I I don't know if it's going to be the same this week. I feel like this one's a little more in line with you guys, but... I don't know. I like the Phillies. So oh, we'll I, see. You see Joe Girardi running yesterday? No. Oh my gosh, he's in great <laughs> shape. You gotta look it up. Well, I do want to take a look at something here. As Petcoda came out with their standing projections, and they're a very reliable source uh, linked with Baseball Prospectus, where they prospect us, excuse me, where they come up with their standings projections. They're definitely someone to follow if that's your. If that's your area of expertise. And let's take a look at our predictions from last week and compare them to Petcota. We had the New York Mets in first. So, Tommy, Petcota is, is, is more with Matt and I in this case as they project the Mets to win the division with about 87 wins and 74 losses. And then we got the Washington Nationals in second, the Atlanta Braves in third, which is surprising to me. And then your, your favorite, your Philadelphia Phillies in fourth, hey. and the Miami Marlins taking the five spot in last place. So I'd say we were all pretty close, except you just had the Mets and the Phillies a little flip-flop there. Yeah, well, but I'm a little closer, like, because I had the Braves in one. They had them in three, but yeah. we all had the Braves That's in true. one, right? So we'll all, yes. the, we'll all take the pain on that one. Then I had the Nationals in two, which is the same as them. Yep. And okay. then I just put... Joe's Phillies in there. <laughs> <laughs> there's no bias. Just because former Yankees manager Joe Girardi's managing them, you're still there's no bias there. Well, I have faith in those guys. That's why. <laughs> Do you think I he can th- manage a bullpen? That bullpen especially? Yes, I think so. He does a good job. Well, no, but here's the thing: he always went batter by batter, right? And that's and, God. Oh, they can't gone. do that no more. Yeah. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting, and he's been out of the game for a couple of years, so we'll see. I really do like him in the broadcast booth, too, so I'm a little disappointed. He's a great manager, don't get me wrong, but yeah. as an analyst, he's very fun to listen to. But with that said, why don't we read the American League Central, which is our division today. Let's read the predictions for that one. Pet Coda says they have the Twins in first with 93 wins, the Indians in second with 86, the White Sox making a big jump from last year, 82 wins. In third place, the Tigers and the Royals wrap up the bottom four or five with 69 and 67 wins, respectively. Matt, let's start with you. How do your rankings compare to Petcota? 
I highly disagree with Pakoda oh, here. No. Um, oh, no. I, I, we all got to agree, you know, the Twins, they had a great season last year offensively, defensively. I agree with them. They are number one, okay? Right, number two, number two. I got to cross Madison Street here and go with the South Side Chicago White Sox here. They had the most phenomenal offseason, and that's coming from a Cubs fan here. They absolutely did everything right. Rick Hahn absolutely hit it out of the park with Grandal, Encarnacion, Grandal, and Keuchel. In addition, they have Mazzara coming in via trade from Texas, and you prospects like Madrigal and Kopech coming back from Tommy John. I see no way this team finishes below second in a very weak AL Central. Keep in mind, in the American League, in the grand scheme of things, the Central has always been the weaker division as of recent history. And considering this lineup now, and you also have Eloy Jimenez there. How can we forget him and Mancata? How do you put this team below second? Like, I want someone to make an argument how you can possibly do that. I can make an argument, but let's wait for that. Tommy, let's hear yours. Um, you want me to read my full division first or no? Yeah. Okay. All right. So I have the Twins in first, followed by the Indians, then the Chicago White Sox, then the Kansas City Royals, and then the Detroit Tigers. Um, it was tough. The White Sox, obviously, they're going to be much better this year. Um, and like you said, Matt, got to give the front office a lot of credit. They went out, got some big guys. But I don't know. I still like the Indians. They still have a good core there. Um, so I think that they'll finish in second. I mean, you have Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez on the left side of the infield. They can both contend for MVPs. Um, so I still like their core. And like you said, the division is very weak. Um, so I don't know. It, it's a toss-up. I feel like it can be very close just within a couple games between um, the White Sox and the Indians. But um, I definitely like the Twins, what they're doing. Rocco Baldelli coming off his manager of the year win. Um, they had a very good season, even though they got swept by the Yankees. And now they just got a lot better by signing Kenta Maeda. And um, Donaldson. trading for him. And that's right. And and they set the record last year, right, for the most home runs in a single season. So that lineup even more dangerous. Definitely like the Twins in the Central. All right, so I'm more with Tommy on this. And I will say, I know I've been giving Matt a lot of grief for his White Sox love. <laughs> the White Sox are a better team, a much better team. And I think they will compete, and I think it's going to be very close, especially with new news that Mike Clevenger has to undergo surgery pretty soon. And we don't know the timetable yet, but that's more than two, three months. I think the Indians will be in trouble, and that does give the White Sox an opportunity. But the biggest thing that jumps out to me now that we're going to start into the argument is that the Indians won 93 games last year, and now that's going to change because they don't have a hand-me-down White Sox team to face 19 times a year. So it's going to be a bit more difficult. But really all the Indians lost this year, notably, was Corey Kluber. And Corey Kluber didn't play more than, or didn't start more than five games or so last year. I think they have a very good team. Their rotation is one of the best, quietly the best in the league, excuse me. Mike Clevenger, dominant, one of the best pitchers in the league. I'd say he's top five starters in the league. Shane Bieber, who was very good in All-Star last year. Carrasco, obviously, he's coming off from health issues. Hopefully he could be good, too. And Zach Plesak, the son of Dan Plesak, was very good in his rookie season as well. And now you, the White Sox have a very good rotation as well. But I do want to go with the experience here. Another guy I really like that the Indians added is Cesar Hernandez, who had a fantastic year for the Phillies last year. This is a very quiet move as well. Played almost every day for the Phillies last season. Hit 279, 14 homers, 71 RBIs. Gets on base a lot. Going to be a nice guy to start off that lineup, hit the top of the order. 
again, with, for me, it's the White Sox. It's just the lack of experience. Luis Robert, one of their top prospects, will be coming up. I think Matt mentioned him, and that will be one of the bigger pieces for me. Uh, but, yeah, I, I do have the Indians over the White Sox. Yeah, continuing my argument for the White Sox is that you also— this rotation is— Pretty much untouchable. You have Giolito, who was in contention for for first. He was in contention for a Cy Young last year. You've he was Ke- great. What's, you've Keuchel. What's Cy Young though? Like, for, for what? He had a 3-5 year. A new contention for. So uh, it was good, but not like great. I'd say, but he could, he's probably going to get better this year. I'll agree with you. On I think that. he's going to be even be even better now that he has Dallas Keuchel to balance out. You've Gio Gonzalez. He has been a solid pitcher. Not really. You know, he's been in the Brewers organization, so, so he's gotten a lot more credit than I think is due. But I think he'll do very well in the three spot for the White Sox. You have Dylan Cease, who was a part of that Jose Quintana trade. Ronaldo Lopez, who was all over the place last year. Really don't know, but I honestly don't see Lopez lasting long in that rotation. And you have Michael Kopech eventually taking his spot. Kopech, again, coming off of Tommy John. And then you also have Eloy Jimenez manning left field. He was one of the top prospects for uh, forever in the Cubs organization continued to stay that way in the White Sox organization. And then just offensively, the way they added Grandal in, in addition to all-star catcher James McCann, you have Encarnacion in addition to all-star Jose Abreu. And I don't see how this team, they're not going to get worse. And now that the Indians are going to be without Clevenger, they lost Kluber, and even it though... It depends on how long with Clevenger, though. My argument here is if they have Clevenger for at least 60% of the season and in the playoffs, I do think that they are the better team. And and also, here's the thing that I have the biggest struggle with with the White Sox, and it's very, very excuse me, similar to my problem with the Cincinnati Reds. It's not... There's not too much experience. There's a lot of hype for specific players like Luis Robert, like Eloy Jimenez, that we just haven't seen yet. And I can't trust. I cannot put my money on a team to do great when we haven't even seen players play a full season at the big league level. And Eloy Jimenez, who was a bit underwhelming, in my opinion, last year at the big league level. And going back to the rotation, too, Gilito was great if he's healthy, 3-5 ERA. Keiko again, solid for the Braves last year. And then Gio Gonzalez, again, average i'd just say he's right down the middle you know it's nothing special for you and that's your three starter now let's go to the indians right here taking a look at them you got clevenger as i said top five pitcher in the league you got beaver an all-star the all-star game mvp last year now there may have been a little biasy in that since it wasn't cleveland but still dominant stuff for him last season zach plesak as i said put up dominant numbers as well this is a team this is a rotation that lost their ace and Corey kluber last season and still turned themselves into one of the best in the league and i think a lot of credit for that goes to trevor bauer but i'm big on this indians rotation if they could stay healthy that's going to be the key to their success and the bullpen as well brad hand one of the best closers in the last three years or so Simber and Perez will be affected a little bit from the new three batter minimum rule, but they're still very effective out of the pen. Now, going back to the White Sox, man, I'm curious to see what you think about this. They've added some pieces to their pen as well. Steve Ciszek I like a lot. Uh, Colome they got from the Mariners back before 2019, along with Herrera. Both of those guys can be very solid as well. But I think the Indians are deeper. I truly do. It's very, very close. But the, the White Sox are a couple moves away and maybe a year of, a year more of experience and of getting, you know, what a 162 season game is like from making the playoffs. And I think the Indians will take that second place spot. Yeah, but we also think about it and you, we said the same thing, or I at least said the same thing about the Chicago Cubs in 2015. They're young, they're inexperienced. No one knows what's going to happen. Chris Bryant's going to come up and you don't know if he's going to do really good or really poor. Same thing with Anthony Rizzo. It was his first couple of years in the league. 
John Lester, it's his first year. You don't know if he can continue what he has done. I see the several similarities with this White Sox team. You got Madrigal, who's going to come up as soon as they get the chance. And going back to your point about the bullpen, Colome was solid for them last year. And the problem with the White Sox bullpen last year is they did not have a bridge between starters like Giolito and Colome. They added that piece in C.C. Shack who is sort of a wild thing, not to make an Indians reference, but he was sort of a wild thing last year with the Cubs. You know, he was either lights out or he wanted to cover your eyes, and that was the case in general with that Cubs bullpen last year. But I think he provides an excellent bridge in Herrera as well from the starters who will last more this season for the White Sox and Colome to close it out. I see what you're saying. You bring up a great point with the Cubs situation. However, again, it's either... Everything goes great, the hype lives up, or it doesn't. There's a lot of uncertainty with this White Sox team this year, and that's why I can't bet on them right now. And I don't mean bet, like actually bet, but I can't put them in the super important standings predictions because it's all question marks right now. As the same thing with the Cincinnati Reds, I'll have a very similar argument when we get to the National League Central. I just feel that a lot has to go right, and people have to live up to expectations. Who knows what Kyle Kopech's going to look like, or Michael Kopech's going to look like. He was dominant in the minor leagues before Tommy John, but then again, he still has to rehab, he still has to get back up to the MLB level, and he has to stay healthy. There's a lot of question marks for this White Sox team right now. And again, once they get the experience and once they figure out who's doing what, then they can add more and fill those gaps. And I think next year they'll be a very competitive team. But I think the Indians are just set in a better position right now, to trust at least. I agree. And uh, you bring up a good point. I mean, it could go either way. They, you know, everything could go right and um, or it could go wrong and they could have a tough year. But... I, I do like this White Sox team. I was listening to an interview with uh, Derek Jeter the other day, um, you know, as an owner now. And, like, you know, he said he expects the Marlins to be contenders. And, you know... I mean, every team does at the beginning <laughs> before the season, right? Yeah, I know. And, and, like, they said, how can you say that? And he said, well, we weren't proven when we came up, you know, Jeter, Mo, Bernie. So, um, obviously, Jorge and Andy Pettit, but... Um, so it could go either way. These guys, they have a lot of potential and they could come up, they could shock everybody, um, you know, have a chance at that division because, you know, every year it seems like we have a team we expect to win the division and they underachieve, they end up in, you know, third place and it could happen because this is a division where it's kind of a toss up. It's, um, you know, other than the Twins, there's not a team that we're really expecting um, to have a stellar year, but definitely going to be a fun division to watch. No, yeah, and I, I want to say, I do think the White Sox are a good team, and I get where you're coming from. I just don't want to, I can't commit to them when I don't know how everything's going to turn out. You know, we, we have these expectations for them, but these are young guys that we don't know if they can live up to them. But we'll see. I want to see the White Sox in the playoffs. They're a team. That's a stadium I don't think I've ever watched since I've been watching baseball intensely in the postseason. So I'm rooting for them. I they, really haven't been, they haven't been in the postseason. Ever since, <laughs> I, I mean, I started watching intensely in 2010, and there's still a few I haven't seen. I haven't seen the Padres, the Mariners, obviously, oh. <laughs> unfortunately, the White Sox, and a handful of other teams, the Marlins, and so forth. But oh, no, it's, yeah. it's very sad. It's very sad. I'm <laughs> taking a look at this wild card standings right now from 2015 that you mentioned. I want to talk a little bit more on that because that was a very unique year given the fact that the 
three wild card teams had more than 97, or the Cubs had 97 wins, the Pirates 98, and the Cardinals 100. And you don't see that too often. And I want to talk about the new postseason mm-hmm. format, I should say. And I remember when I first saw these rules, I don't want to say I was in shock, but it was a lot to process. And I really could not put my finger on whether I liked it or not. And Let me explain what the new rules are if you guys are just hearing this for the first time, the ones listening. Basically what this would be is it would be expanding the playoff teams from five to seven, and then there would be three – or there would basically be four wildcard teams in each league, and then the number one seed would get a bye to the division series, and then the number two seed would pick from the remaining teams on who they want to play on a TV show. Then the third team would pick from the remaining, and then the fourth team would play the remainder remainder excuse me and then there would be six best of three wild card series three in each league and they would all be hosted by the number one seed all three games uh there's parts of this i like there's parts of this i dislike and i want to talk about it with you guys what do you think um personally i don't know it i was kind of there with you i was kind of confused by it not sure what to think um, overall, I think I like it because it gives more teams a chance, but there's definitely aspects that I don't like. I mean, the TV show aspect, you're letting them pick who they play. I just don't understand, like, how that's fair, and, and most of the time it'll go how we all expect, you know, they'll pick the, what would be the lower-seeded teams, um, but I do like that you're giving more teams a chance because I know you, Max, as a Mariners fan, haven't seen playoff baseball in a while. You want to know a fun fact I heard? Yeah. If this was implemented back the last time the Mariners made the playoffs, which was 2001, the year I was born, the Mariners would have also made the playoffs in 2002, 3, 7, 9, 14, 16, and 18. And see, that's good for <laughs> baseball to have more teams in it, and I think... I think the reason why they added the TV thing... Mm-hmm. was to make it more appealing to people who aren't interested in baseball because baseball lacks that sort of flair for mm-hmm. a lot of people who are enjoy football and basketball because those are more quick. You see a lot more action. The players have more personalities versus baseball is very quiet and people kind of stay in their bubble a little bit, but the players, I mean, and they're trying to add that flair, but this is not the right type of flair in my opinion. I think this is just goofy, to be honest with you. It, it just does not make sense to me. Yeah, and I'm sort of going to agree with both you guys. Other than the expansion, which I completely agree with, maybe not seven, but maybe expand to six teams in each league because I think there are too many good teams being left out of the playoffs. But on the other hand, if you expand to seven, then you're possibly getting into all the teams between 83 and 87 wins who really, you know, they're barely above 500. And you start to question, do they deserve to be competing in the postseason now agreeing with you guys on the tv show i am completely completely not a fan of that i think the standings need to speak for themselves i know they want to make it interesting and add it but i think there's no place for that in baseball you know if they really want to add a tv show maybe draft all-star teams like the nba does yeah so like like if they want to do that do it with that but the postseason there's way too many implications with fans with cities with money it's just not worth it to put that in the balance of the TV market money. It you got to stick with the standings. The teams earn their spot where they need to. It makes it a whole lot more interesting down the race. Because also, if you do a TV show, unless you're clinching the, the number one seed or clinching the division, seeds really don't matter. I mean, other than draft choice, but if you're going to be the sixth or seventh team, 
what's the difference between five and seven? You're going to get picked by someone else anyways. Yeah. So why why play? Why risk injury and stuff like that if you're going to be in the five or seven or one through three spot? Because it's just not worth it to do that when you've nothing to play for. I agree. And one thing I want to ask you guys is, do you think this is for real? Or do you think that they're trying to take the attention off of the crazy offseason with Houston and everything else? It's a great question. And I actually saw another tweet that Trevor Bauer responded to. I apologize. I don't know who actually tweeted the initial one. And and I, I, I believe she said that Rob Manfred may be using a strategy here to propose something extremely, extremely out like out of this planet to use that analogy again something that no one likes and that's a little too over the top so then he could argue and then propose something that he actually wanted that's less extreme and then people will like it more i think this i think the expanding teams could work but what you would have to do is let shorten the season a little bit 145 150 games because another argument is if you have seven teams in co- competing the top Four or five teams clinch, like probably in early September, if not earlier, and then there really is no point besides the seeding, and it's just a mess in my opinion. But yeah, I, I do think there is a chance he could be trying to take the attention off. But what's weird about it is, is it just makes things worse. I feel like he's adding on to the pile. People are more upset now. You're adding from this Astros frustration and their frustration in him for not handling it the way they wanted to, and then you're adding this extremely ridiculous proposal in many people's opinions, including mine. Yeah. And that just makes it worse, in my opinion. I agree. And, you know, Didi Gregorius tweeted out earlier this week, it was something to the effect of why do we keep changing this game that's already great. And They have to change it a little bit. They do. It, there's problems, but I wouldn't say this much. This is the wrong way to change it. This will yeah. take it. I don't think people who are fans that, that are not fans of the game will not be interested in it. Or, excuse me, let me rephrase. I don't think people who aren't fans right now will like baseball better because of this and Mm -hmm. you know all current baseball fans the majority will dislike it that's right and i want to know is it manfred is it people in his office who comes up with these bizarre rules (laughs) because the one that i like it would ruin the game for me is in extra well not ruin the game but in extra innings putting the man on second base that's the most no. bizarre thing I've ever heard in my life. It's the California tiebreaker rule, which I believe in Little League for California. I've played with it a couple times to speed up the games. Yeah, mm-hmm. they put the, if in extra innings, they put the last hitter to hit on second base, which speeds up the game. But it's an incredibly valuable advantage to the home team because all you have to do is bunt yeah. and drive them in. If you're the away mm-hmm. team, you know, you can't... you you got to assume that the home team is going to score one run, so you have to go for two, which puts you in a situation where you don't necessarily want to bunt. So it, it's a very difficult situation. I don't like it either. I think it would... It's not baseball. It's not. You didn't earn it, in my opinion. They're giving you a free run. And yeah, exactly. more than likely... The one the away team's going to score one run, then the home team's going to tie it, and, then and that's going to go on for. It's keep... even it, arguably based on that. You'd say it take longer because all you're doing is you're adding more, possibly more base runners to that. You already get the automatic. That doesn't take any time. But if it's going to go one run, one run, one run, and then they got to play the music for the run score and all that will. good stuff, it's just going to take longer than arguably letting them play the game. I don't know if it will necessarily take longer. But, like, I think the what they're pre- trying to prevent is Game 3, I believe it was, of the 2018 World Series where it went 18 innings and you have Evaldi out there pitching a gem starting mm-hmm. out like but the 10th inning But what else do you get? If you put a man on second, when else do you get that performance? Like, that, like, that, <laughs> like that's something that you just see in baseball and you just love to see, especially in that situation in the World Series. 
when do you like? If you do, if I know this rule is never going to happen, but if you insert that California tiebreaker rule, you never see unique moments like that, and it completely takes it away. And also, the the drama from that scenario comes from the big man coming up to hit that double to start it off. There's no mm-hmm. significance in it. Literally, it could come out play out like this: Game Seven of the World Series. Let's just say for an extreme hypothetical, bottom of the tenth inning, tied at two two. You automatically put that runner on second. Next guy bunts. The other guy hits a sack fly. That's not fun. No. That's not fun at all. And you feel like you didn't earn it. Imagine being the other team and you're just sitting there and you're like, we made two we outs. Gave them, they gave them a run. The MLB gave them that run. And they obviously had the opportunity before. It, it's not the same to well, me. It's something no. I do want to talk about. I'll go on. Sorry. It's the same situation that, you know, the pitcher made two outs and gave up a run. It's, yeah. it's, it's literally that. Yeah, I agree with you, Matt. But with that, that's going to wrap up our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening here on VIC Radio. For Matt Sossler, Tommy Muma, I'm Max Tanzer. We'll be here every morning from 8 to 9 a.m. on the mound here on VIC Radio.